Hi, how are you doing? I hope you're having a fantastic day. And if not, I hope this show will make you feel a little better. You are listening to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. We are broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus on the unceded ancestral and traditional Musqueam territory in Vancouver. I am your host, Sarah Unju, and I am so excited for today's show because we have... A bunch of interviews. I mean, we don't have any reviews this week. We just have three interviews, which is just really exciting. I don't think we've ever had a show with just interviews. So a bunch of information to take in. It's going to be fun. Also, happy reading break to my fellow students. I hope you're enjoying this little break that we have, even though you probably have a bunch of assignments and midterms coming up right after the break just like I do. I hope you can enjoy it still somehow, maybe sleep in instead of waking up at, you know, like 8 or 9 a.m. to go to classes. And by go to classes, I mean, unfortunately, not on campus. But, you know, anyways, so how have you been enjoying your reading break? I personally started knitting a cardigan. I think uh, you have probably heard of it or seen it online. It is the J.W. Anderson cardigan that they made for hairstyles. They released the pattern like a year ago, I think. It's been a whole year. Maybe it's been more than a year. Who knows? But I just been putting it off. I didn't want to do it because... You know, the reason, the first, at first, I didn't want to do it because everyone was doing it. And I thought, you know what, maybe I can take on another project. But then now I'm like, well, I I actually really want to have it myself and I want to wear it and I want to be like, hey, I made this. And so I've decided to, to do it. So it has like, it's made up of 72 squares and I have four so far. So... <laughs> It's going to take a while, but I'm going to do it. If you want to, oh, oh my God, here's a little shameless self-promotion. If you want to see the process, if you're wondering how it's going, or if you want to see the end result when I eventually finish it, follow my Instagram page at craftable.s. It's craftables, but with a dot right before the S because my name is Sarah (laughs) with an S. Also, quick disclaimer before I continue speaking. Um, I kind of broke my microphone. Um, so it's a it has a stand, my microphone normally, and it just stands in it by itself and I speak as I normally do, like I would do in the studio. But I broke it and now I have to hold it in my hand. So I'm using my left hand to hold my microphone and I don't know if the cable, like the USB cable, is making sounds. I know it does, but I'm not sure if it's doing them right now. So if there are any weird sounds like this, that is why. And I apologize. Um, But there's really not much I can do right now besides hope for the best. I will try to fix it for next week. So next week should be better. Um, But uh, for this week, I guess... We're gonna have to deal with it. I'm so sorry. Well, let's get into the show, shall we? What do we have today? We have, as I said, three interviews. I am gonna start off with my interview with Miriam Steinberg about her new graphic novel, Catalog Baby. And Catalog Baby talks about her journey through um, trying to have a baby as a single mother. And a bunch of miscarriages and unfortunate events like that occur so it's a really personal one and you know very intimate detail so like it's a really nice uh interview yes tune it oh my god words stay for that (laughs) afterwards we're gonna go into a quick adam psa break and i'm not gonna come back we're just gonna continue with eva's interview with uh farhaven and after Eva's interview, again, a quick Adam PSA break. And then 
we're going to be back with a shout out and another interview <laughs> that Phoebe did. Phoebe's interview is going to be with Fuyubi Nakamura, who is the curator of the new exhibition A Future for Memory at the Museum of Anthropology, which is located at UBC if any of you don't know. So uh, without further ado, I shall leave you to the interview. I hope you enjoy. Hi everyone, today I'm here with Miriam Steinberg to talk about her new graphic novel, Catalog Baby, A Memoir of Infertility. Thank you for joining me, Miriam. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, could you tell us a bit about Catalog Baby and why you've decided to write it? So Catalog Baby is a memoir about my journey to my rainbow babies. Rainbow Rainbow babies is kind of a term that's used uh, when you have a live birth after having multiple or a miscarriage or multiple miscarriages and mm -hmm. uh, not just miscarriages, but different. There's a lot of different ways that infants can die and fetuses can unfortunately disappear. Yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, so Catalog Baby is the tale of my journey towards having babies. Um, and I wrote it because throughout my journey, I found that I didn't really have that many resources that were written that I could relate to. Mm -hmm. and, um, and in fact, most of the resources that I found were either short little excerpts that were kind of out of context, or once you are trying to conceive a baby um, and give birth, and you kind of explore the internet a little bit, you see there are a lot of people out there who are having the same troubles, mm -hmm. but it's kind of like a little secret club. And I think uh, one of the reasons that I wrote the book is so that it's not just the, so that the people going through it um, can feel like they're not alone in the journey, uh, but it's also so that their support network can kind of begin to understand what's going on and try to support them in a way that makes sense and mm -hmm. that doesn't trigger the person because goodness knows that when you are experiencing a lot of loss like this, there are a lot of things that can be triggering to you. Yeah, very true. And um, how was the process of writing it? Did you write it over the past few years? Because I know that it's been in the making for two and a half years. So... Um, was the the whole two and a half years sort of the writing process or did you write it finish it and then the drawings happen how did it all come together my process is a little bit different than what i was told is the correct mm -hmm. quote-unquote process of writing <laughs> a graphic novel i actually started writing it when just before i was about to have the embryos for my twins it transferred into me. Mm -hmm. uh, and I did all the writing. And what I also did was some a bunch of stick figure drawings. So I kind of storyboarded the whole thing. So I wrote the script. And then when I was kind of stuck writing the words, I drew it out. And I mean, they're very, very crude drawings. But <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, so I did that and then kind of back and forth on that. And then I ended up also making the stick figure panels for the script that I wrote where I was inspired at the time. So mm -hmm. it kind of was like a back and forth process. And apparently the way you're supposed to write it is 100% you write the, all the words down first. Included. It's kind of like a movie uh, scenario that you are writing okay. um, with all the descriptions and the emotions and the as well as the text that goes into the book. Um And then you leave all the drawing to once that's all done. But my brain doesn't really work that way because <laughs> it's super visual. Um, so then I had the script, I had the stick figure drawings, and I hired an illustrator actually mm -hmm. to translate those two things into drawings that ended up being super beautiful. Um, and then his process was he took the script and the stick figure drawings and he did kind of sketches of all of that. Mm -hmm. Then went from those sketches to more detailed sketches to the final drawings. Mm -hmm. And then I did the, all the coloring afterwards. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so the illustrator is um, Christash Ross. Did yeah. you know Christash beforehand or did you um, meet them with this book? 
No, I, I knew him before. I actually had hired him for the festival that I was organizing before called mm-hmm. the In the House Festival. And so I knew him more in a theater capacity as a clown. And then on when I was looking for illustrators for Catalog Baby and he had started posting illustrations that he was kind mm-hmm. of playing around with and he was posting them on social media. And I was like, oh yeah, that actually really fits what I, what I want. So I called him up and I was like, hey, of this project are you interested <laughs> yeah that's that's amazing uh and talking about the festivals you've been involved in art relating things before but this is your first graphic novel right yeah and so what made you decide this was the medium that you wanted to use to tell your story well when i was going through everything there's a lot of tragedy and there's a lot of heartbreak but it wasn't just that it there's a lot of really funny moments too and a lot of super ridiculous moments and at some point I was like damn I just I feel like something needs to be done with this because it's so ridiculous Mm -hmm. and like who does this to their body and how does all this other stuff happen to you and and uh so at first I was actually thinking maybe I would do like a fringe style one woman play or something but Mm -hmm. like I am not an actress and I cannot imagine I was super daunted by the idea of writing a script and then playing it live in front of audiences over and over again. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, scrap that. So I was like, okay, well maybe a novel. So then I was like, yeah, but there's so many emotions that go along with trying to conceive that cannot actually be described by words mm-hmm. or there's just too many just words that would describe that emotion and by the time you get to the end of the paragraph you're like what is she talking about <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I just kind of kind of came to the conclusion that drawings could drawings and words together would mm-hmm. be the easiest way to convey all the emotions and all the physicality that goes along with trying to have a baby and when especially when it's a difficult journey yeah yeah okay and how did you decide what to include in the book because I'm assuming you didn't include every single detail so how did you decide what you want to be told for the for everyone to read and what you want to keep to yourself that was actually really really difficult I was actually okay with putting everything in there Mm -hmm. but that would be in a thousand page book (laughs) Yeah. So I kind of, I, I grouped it in, in, uh, in terms of both the years, like the years that it took and the pregnancies that I had, because mm-hmm. I ended up having five pregnancies throughout this journey. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So the book is divided both in the years. So that's kind of like the parts and then the parts are subdivided by which baby I had during that year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, or which non-baby I had. Like maybe uh, during one of the years like, um, I didn't have a successful pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's uh, what I did. And then, and then as well as, as the writing and the drawing progressed, at some points it's just like, does this huge event that happened, does it advance the story actually? Mm-hmm. And um a lot of those stories I had to just cut and there were a lot of vignettes that I had to cut that just in the end, when I saw it all put together, I'm like, Oh man, that's just kind of repetitive and I don't need it. It's called killing your darlings. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of darlings I had to kill. (laughs) Uh, And there was like, and then at some point, sometimes there was a time crunch. So there was, there were a few scenes where I could have kept them in, but then it was like, again, is it totally necessary or is it just because this happened to me and I found it shocking personally, but yeah, does it, does it make the story flow any better? Mm-hmm. So I just chop, 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 chop. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And um, so you had five pregnancies. I'm please feel free to not answer if you think it's too personal, but because my dad is in the business, he specializes in, everything gynecology related. So I'm just curious uh, if you were, if you were with one doctor through all pregnancies or you tried out different doctors to see if, you know, one was better than the other. I actually had a midwife. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. So I had the same midwife throughout the whole four and a half years. And then when I found out that I was having twins at the, for the very final pregnancy, because I'm geriatric, mm -hmm. as in I'm over 40, <laughs> the geriatric pregnancy, uh, all of a sudden I had to have an OB. Mm -hmm. So, and because I was having twins, um, that kind of like doubled the, the dose of like, no, you can't just go with a midwife. So then I did a shared practice. So I, I did, I had my midwife and I also went with an obstetrician. Okay. 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 Fantastic. <laughs> I'm happy for you. And, um, what do you think is the most important thing that you got out of both your journey of trying to have a baby with uh, difficulties and also your journey of writing this book? Um, the best thing? Community. Mm -hmm. I was continuously blown away by the strength of the people around me and the support that they kept um, imparting. It was, it was really, 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 really special. Mm -hmm. um, I feel extraordinarily lucky to have had that because I don't know if what I would have done without it, to mm -hmm. be honest. Um, and there were a few times, especially near the end, final two, two or three pregnancies where I was just like, oh man, I don't, I can't, I have nothing left. I have nothing left. And I had to kind of hand over my hope to my friends and family and, and let them hold that so that I could just kind of go through the motions, go through the steps, because one thing that I, I did some counseling as well. And one thing that she suggested was when I was kind of losing that hope was like, okay, live a week as if you have decided not to have a baby. Mm -hmm. People end of story, just like pretend this is, this is the decision you made. How do you feel? And then live another week with the decision that yes, you are having a baby come hell or high water. What does that feel like? I couldn't even go 24 hours. I'm like, no, I'm having this, <laughs> whatever it is. And so because I didn't have enough like emotional resources in me, it was just, it was so important for the people around me to hold it. Um, and then, and then once I got pregnant with the babies, I just like bit by bit, it started dribbling back and you still hold back a lot, but mm -hmm. you have that support network to, to help you. And then for the book, it was super cathartic. <laughs> Um, it helped me let go of a lot of the pain. Mm -hmm. uh, I still get choked up reading a bunch of the of the the parts of the book, mm -hmm. uh, but it's different. It's not as sharp. It's not as killer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's in a way, it's nostalgic. In a way, it's it's still painful and it still you know puts questions in my mind. But it's it's a lot softer, and I don't. Yeah, it was it was just extraordinarily cathartic. And now I feel like I have a gift to be able to share with other people. And I wish I had had that uh, when I was going through it all. Mm -hmm. So I, I feel really honored to be able to share that with folks. Yeah, that's really nice. Thank you. And when does Catalog Baby officially launch and where can people buy it? So it's available directly through me right now. It, the official launch is March 2nd, but there's a launch event on February 24th. Okay. So there's a whole bunch of different dates. <laughs> uh, and you can get it online through all the usual uh, suspects, Amazon, Indigo, Barnes & Noble, for pre-sale now. Mm -hmm. But you won't get the book until early March. Mm -hmm. And then if, they, if the audience wants more information about Catalog Baby or you, where can they find it? You can go to... www.catalogbabynovel.com or follow me on Instagram at catalog underscore baby. Awesome. Thank you so much, Miriam, for taking the time out of your day to talk to me about um, this, this wonderful graphic novel that you created. Thank you. Appreciate the support. Without the help and support of our friends, we here at CITR wouldn't be able to bring you all the great music, art, cinema, and culture that you love. Thanks to the long-standing support from the Rio Theatre, we are able to keep you informed on all the great artists, films, and everything else coming to town there. For all the current information about who and what's playing at the Rio Theatre, visit their website at www.riotheatre.ca.
feeling lost in the lonely, meaningless cyberweb. Looking to connect with other users? Then plug in to a CITR collective. Meet users who are compatible with your interests and passions. CITR's mainframe offers nine unique collectives. News, arts, accessibility, sports, persons of color, indigenous, gender empowerment, LGBTQ2SIA+, and music affairs. CITR collectives are where you can make great radio, great friends, and avoid the abject loneliness of life in the cyber void. Hey, this is Eva Drowdy. You're about to listen to my interview with Farhaven. They are a rock band from Kits, consisting of Pierce Affleck on lead guitar and vocals. We got Thomas Van Alstein on rhythm guitar and vocals, Jack Martin on keys, and Seb Rivrich on drums. They are super fun guys, and if you dig old school rock or the Pixies or Cage the Elephant, you've already got something in common. So let's first hear a song off their 2021 LP Matchstick. This is Hypothetical Girl. She walked into my room What a big surprise She turned to me We both locked eyes She spoke so softly Her breath is cold as ice She's got me speechless And frozen in time I'm back, and this time I'm with Firehaven. What's up, guys? Hello. How's it going? How's it going? So good. So let's do a little intro. Give me your name and maybe your role in the band, and also what's your favorite album of all time? Okay. Uh, I'll go first then. Um, 
My name is Pierce. Uh, I'm the lead guitarist and one of the vocalists. And my favorite album of all time is probably Revolver by the Beatles. Mm. Good one. My name is Seb, and I'm the drummer in the band. And my favorite album of all time is probably Led Zeppelin 1. Jack, you want to go? Okay, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, my name is Jack. I play the keys or the piano. Um, my favorite album of all time is probably Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd. Mm, I'm noticing a classic rock trend. This is sick. And then I'm just going to completely... Uh, <laughs> Derail that? Um, so I'm Thomas. Uh, I play rhythm guitar and do some vocals as well. And I think my favorite album of all time would have to be Stadium Arcadium by the Chili Peppers. Nice. Okay, love it. Still very rock heavy, I dig. Yeah. Okay, so I think I can guess where you all met because we all went to the same high school. But uh, what's the story about how the band actually came together? All right, uh, Thomas, why don't you start this with uh, give some context. So in grade 12, there was this uh, class called uh, Contemporary Music, and we all joined it, but uh, I, I wasn't really friends with Jack or Pierce at the time. And uh, so I joined it with three other friends, and we were all going to have our own band. And then the, after the first class, they all dropped out of the class. So for a good couple of months, I was just doing my own solo thing, um, pretty lonely. And this one day, I was just chilling in this little hallway where you had an option to jam out and practice some stuff when uh, Jack and Pierce came up to me and they're like, hey man, you want to join the band? You look pretty lonely out here. He looked, he looked so sad out there, just <laughs> playing the guitar by himself. Hmm. We, we pitied him, so we, we let him join the band. <laughs> And the rest is history. Seb, Seb joined a little later. Uh, well, I, I knew time. Thomas from work. Yeah, and then I actually didn't even know any of you guys were in a band at the time or Thomas yeah. was in a band at the time. And Yeah, well, we posted something on our story, I think, um, just asking like uh, if anyone mm-hmm. is a drummer or knows any drummer. And Seb DM'd me like 20 minutes after he posted that. And I think like the day <laughs> after he came and jammed with us. And- the stars aligned. At the time, we weren't called Farhaven. Back then, we were called Yeah, because she asked us what our name was, and we just went, Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, my God, I love that. And then when, so what's Farhaven? Where'd that come from? Um, <laughs> I was playing like, Dungeons and Dragons, actually, one night. <laughs> yeah, and there's this one little town called Fairhaven. I was like, oh, it kind of sounds cool. And so I talked to Pierce, and he's like, wait, hold up. If we take the eye out and we call ourselves Farhaven, and that's how we all started. It, it took us months to to settle oh. on a name. We we couldn't we we couldn't all agree on anything. Oh, that's yeah. so funny. I like I like that. I think yeah is pretty hilarious for a concept of a band name, but I it's mess a, with Farhaven. Yeah, yeah, it's just a little, a little too ambiguous. I think that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, and in the ass trying to explain the name to people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. So moving into Matchstick, which was your quarantine baby, um, this is a full-length LP, which is pretty uncommon, I think, for a first like go, a first recording from a band. That's a pretty big project to take on. Why don't you guys choose to do that? Uh, well, we actually had uh, two singles before the album that were kind of practice, I'd say. Like, like, like we definitely weren't as experienced as we were are now. Um, we ha- and we learned a lot since those, and our sound tightened up, and we kind of know ourselves better now. Um, and so after those two two singles, um, we had a few songs in our in our pocket from just you know quarantine writing because being able to do nothing else basically. And so we were like, well, we have enough songs, so let's let's do it. Let's record an album. Yeah, I think the way like. I feel like a lot of albums get built like this, where like you have like three or four like key songs, they're like cornerstones, and then stuff starts to like pop out around that. Like um, I remember when we decided to have River go into Hey Man, like just having that pop up and like having like a uh, different songs like popped up along the way, and then eventually like oh okay, we have nine songs, we can actually uh, do something with this. And honestly, we could have added more, but I think we just settled on those nine songs because they were sounding pretty solid at the time. Mm-hmm. And they all they all fit nicely together. It wasn't hard finding an arrangement for the songs. We all kind of agreed right away. Yeah. I was going to ask about that. Oh, that's my favorite part. Like the tasty transition from River to Heyman is so satisfying. Yeah. My favorite part to play. Right? So much. <laughs> You're saying like you kind of ended up with a lot of content just because you had not a lot else to do during quarantine. 
were there a lot of uh, silver linings that came around, like quarantine, but also what would be the most challenging thing about trying to get serious with music during this past year? I think I think uh, definitely the silver lining is just the, t- the being able to spend a lot more time sort of writing and focusing on like um, each of our parts and, and, and our instruments and being able to practice uh, and focusing only on that. But the definitely the, the easily the biggest downside is just not being able to play, play live. I mean, we, we basically started properly right, right before the quarantine yeah. uh, and, and had our, fir- our first single released in March of 2020. Right, so, right. Yeah. <laughs> so we basically, we have, we have basically never played live. We've played, um, we played like some gigs at like like a friend's party at my at Micah's, which, which Micah's Christmas party. Yeah, Seb wasn't part of the picture yet. I wasn't there. So it's been difficult to like kind of gauge where we are in terms of like live performance because uh, playing you know playing in, in Seb's basement, uh, it's the sound is is probably not too comparable to what it's like to play on a stage or you know uh, at a venue. It's it's tight space in it and it definitely makes it difficult to hear ourselves properly i think everything tends to vibrate a lot as well in that room so <laughs> yeah and also just not having that like instant audience feedback i think is really yeah. important which is really important i think yeah that would be kind of nice to experience for once <laughs> mm-hmm. we're starting to learn to use like social media to our advantage as much as we possibly can because that's yeah. all we really have right now to us. Yeah. it's also going to be a rude awakening i think uh for our stage presence and uh, stage banter when we start playing live, because oh, uh, <laughs> uh, it'll Give it'll have to get practice. better, and that we will with practice. But it, it'll definitely be a uh, we'll see how it works out. Yeah. yeah, we're excited though for when we finally finally get to play live one day. Well, look at it this way: like a lot of people's first gigs are so dirty and like not well put together, but you guys are going to be so polished as a group by the first time you can actually get out there. Yeah. So, yeah, that'd be sweet. I saw that you're doing socially distanced jams at one point as well. How long was that kind of going on for? Um, that went on for a couple. I mean, there was a big time when quarantine first came into effect and we didn't jam together for probably like a month or two, I think. And then one day we're just like, okay, uh, whoever can make it, let's just try and see if this can work out. And, uh, we made it work, but it wasn't the most convenient thing because, like Pierce earlier said, Seb's basement is tightly packed together. Yeah. Uh, so we tried to make it work, and then you know, if we wanted to, if anyone didn't feel safe, they could wear a mask or you know, just do as much as they possibly can to stay safe whenever we jam after that. But yeah, there was um, there's definitely a good month and a half, two months before we actually got back into jamming once COVID first hit. Yeah, and then one, and then and then after uh, kind of the second wave hit back in like was that November or something like oh, that? Oh, we did. Yeah, uh, we jammed for like like we months. didn't we didn't jam from basically November till uh, like, like late new year. December to the yeah. maybe the new yeah, probably the new year actually. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think. Uh, and, and then we were we were very careful. Um, it would just be a few of us, like you or me, Pierce. Yeah, yeah. Me and me and Seb started practicing just me and him because uh, we had we were working on some new stuff that we wanted to just start working on a little bit and just getting like kind of one part in, in at a time um, so that we didn't, you know, break any rules. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so did you, what was the writing process like? Was it a lot of solo stuff? Well, um, in terms of like the music, it's very like one piece at a time. Um, like if, if I write a song, um, maybe I'll meet up with Seb and we'll get the drums and, and, and the guitar, just get the shit kind of the shape of the song. Mm. Uh, and then maybe I'll meet up with Thomas like, and we'll, we'll work on, you know, his guitar part and maybe some like we'll, on our vocals and Hell lyrics and harmonize. that kind of thing. Yeah. Harmonization. Uh, and then sort of Jack is like the final piece in the puzzle of the puzzle. Just uh, once everything else is put together as much as possible, Jack comes in with the keys and, and he just does yeah. a cherry on top. I think too, when we like really <laughs> get back in the swing of it for jamming as like creating more projects down the future, it's going to be like, a lot of uh, different ideas. Each person's going to have their own, like, I guess, like quarantine batch of like three or four things. Like, Oh, I just wrote this. Like, I think this is cool. Mm, and yeah. Like we'll have all of those come together and then we'll thin out the herd of like, what's, what's actually good and what's not. That's so cool. And I think like a lot of bands, especially when they have lots of uh, members have been pretty stagnant during this period. So good on you guys for getting to do those like solo pieces, putting them all together and finding a way to make it work. I think that's super cool. 
I'm also, I have Did a question you? about, there's kind of a, um, an interlude song called More Than Love, which has this violin feature, which is super cool. Yeah. Like, which one of you plays violin here? That's Micah. Uh, that's Micah, actually. Oh. So that might be, you know, if, 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 so Micah is no longer in the band, sadly. He's, he's out in Montreal uh, doing his own thing now, and uh, we couldn't be more proud. But uh, he was our violinist, and so we really wanted to have a song that had, you know, violin in it and uh originally that song actually had lyrics and and we decided like you know this this could be really cool as a as an instrumental uh with like a violin as sort of the lead instrument and so we we went for it and i think it turned out really well you also did have a bit of a violin part in our first release falling right Um, that's right yeah there's a bit if you listen carefully there's some violin i think during the bridge and the build-up to the uh, final solo I thought that's so fun because you don't really see that. And I think you guys say you're a pop rock band. Um, you don't really see that in either of those genres, especially not like a physical instrument played. So I thought that was a really neat addition there. But Yeah. yeah. yeah I'm glad yeah, we, we, we wanted, to, wanted to set ourselves uh, apart a little bit. You know? Definitely. I mean, kind of on that note then, would, could you walk me through some influences or genres that you guys kind of pull from each of you? Yeah. Um, so... I think for me and Seb, uh, the Beatles are a huge yeah, one. Absolutely. I think probably, it's, it's hard to not be influenced by the Beatles because they're yeah. so influential. But me and Seb are, are, are definitely big fans of the Beatles. And uh, uh, that comes across in, in various ways. Um, and for me personally, uh, there's some other other bands like uh, Cage the Elephant, for like modern bands like Cage the Elephant, uh, The Neighborhood. Um, and then I also, you know, love, of course, love Pink Floyd and, and that whole prog rock psychedelic rock and that kind of stuff influences me a lot so cool i'm so happy you said that because i was like really trying to place what i heard and it was cage the elephant with oh i can't remember song i think it's hypothetical girl that sounds kind of like cagey to me and i was like i loved it it was such a cool like vibe and then i i totally hear the beatles and hey man has this kind of like nostalgic feel yeah so as you said beatles course one of my favorite bands and Ringo he's one of my favorite drummers and then there's Led Zeppelin I just absolutely love John Bonham's drumming he's just a monster on the drum kit those are really my top two for sure of course Pink Floyd all the older ones I listen to The Kinks Keith Moon from The Who love him as well rip rest in peace Keith Moon (laughs) um yeah that's about it I really like the classical stuff, the bluesy. I really like Jimi Hendrix as well. Not a lot of the newer stuff really catches my eye. And I want to try and bring back as much as like that grimy blues, like thick drum sound from like the 60s, 70s. Just because I love it. It sounds so powerful to me. But yeah. I'm so with you on that. I think that's awesome. It's funny that you all have different, like Pierce here is a little bit more alternative and all that, but it's all rock and it all seems very like cohesive and clean in this whole LP, so it's super dope, the sound. Um, Jack, do you want to go? Yeah, for influences, I'm going to pull this in a completely different way, actually. Yeah, thank um, you. For keys, a big one for me is um, Coldplay, uh, especially for, like, when I'm writing, like, uh, writing lyrics as well. Um, like, it's definitely, I think The Scientist is one of my favorite songs to play on piano, having that kind of, like, that constant, um, just, like, of, like a, a building and then, like, uh, and getting to kind of hammer it out in the chorus more. I definitely like I like the Beatles as well and like some of the older um, bands, but I think for me, especially like Coldplay's just been a huge influence. Super cool. I mean, a lot of those like classic rock bands didn't really implement a lot of keys, but Coldplay was a really like that's a really fun pop band to play as a pianist, I think. Um, I guess I'm I'd say I'm pretty heavily influenced by um, Pixies. That's for sure. I, I sort of like the um, like the early indie alternative scene a bit like late 80s into like i guess early 90s um and then if we were to go back i'd probably say i'd probably go with like the rolling stones or the beatles but uh definitely uh pixies and a bit of sublime i really like the palm muting um with the rhythm guitar i i definitely like mess around with that a lot but uh oh yeah sublime and pixies for sure i think just sort of the chiller type of sounding chord progressions are just sort of right up my alley and that's sort of uh what i yeah what sort of inspires me to write some of the music that we have on the album 
That's killer. Maybe it's time for Farhaven to go ska next. Maybe ska. (laughs) 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 All right. Well, unfortunately, I think that kind of wraps it up. We have such a short segment for this, which is a bummer. But as a last note, uh, what can you tell us about where to listen to the album Matchstick and plug some things for us? All right. Matchstick is out on basically every every platform you can think of. And uh, go check out our Instagram, Farhaven Music. And um, we got some stuff coming up in the future. We got a, a, a single coming up probably in the near future that's um, going to be a little heavier and, and classic rock and blues style. Yeah, right up bluesy, yeah. Type so of uh, keep, an, keep an eye out for that. And uh, yeah, go check us out on, on Instagram and, and on your preferred streaming service. We have a website too. Uh, we do. No, it's dot com. You want to send us any money? Like, yeah, students they have no money. <laughs> well, thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Yeah, no thank, you. thank you for this opportunity. You got it. Thanks. You enjoyed really, every minute of awesome. this. Oh, me too. See ya. At Dunkin' Donuts, each and every radio show is brewed fresh and served fresh at the peak of its flavor. If you're a tough customer, only the taste of this radio show will do. So go ahead, let Dunkin' Donuts make your radio experience exquisite. Indeed. (laughs) Dunkin' Donuts, serving sweet treats from the pop underground. Thursdays, noon to one. To prevent the spread of coronavirus 2019 or COVID-19, social distancing and self-isolation measures have been recommended. What is social distancing? Social distancing includes, but is not limited to, discussing the possibility of working from home, avoiding visits to long-term care homes, retirement homes, supportive housing, hospices, and other congregate care settings unless the visit is absolutely essential avoiding non-essential trips in the community, keeping the windows down if you have to go into the community for an essential trip via taxi or rideshare, limiting or canceling group gatherings, spending time outside and in settings where people can maintain one to two meters or three to six feet of distance from each other. These guidelines are not meant to say you must stay in your home. You can still go outside and take a walk, go to the park or walk your dog. If you need groceries, go to the store. It is simply recommended that while outside, you make sure to avoid crowds and maintain a distance from those around you. Hey, hello, we're back. That was a weird sounding hey. Okay, I hope you enjoyed those two interviews. Uh, make sure to check out Far Haven. They sound like a really cool band. And make sure to check out Miriam's book, Catalog Baby. It sounds like a wonderful book. And before we get into our other interview, which is with Fuyubi Nakamura, I am gonna do a quick little shout out for you. So today's shout out goes out to Pi Theater. And by Pi, I don't mean the one you eat. <laughs> I mean the P.I. So Pi Theater is having a bunch of productions. Uh, you should check them out. So the first one is Macbeth Muir. Yeah, I was I was trying to make sure that I pronounced that right, but I'm I'm thinking I pronounced it right. Okay. <laughs> so that's going to be on Thursday, 18th of February at 7 p.m. and Friday, 19th of February at 7 p.m. And then they have frequencies and this will be on Saturday, February 20th at 4 p.m. and Sunday, February 21st at 4 p.m. You can get the tickets at their website, which is just um, a pie. Th- if you. OK, so how do I explain this? So if you just Google pie theater which is what I'm doing right now. Let's do it together. Unless you're in the car. Please don't do it if you're in the car. If you Google Pi Theater, P-I Theater, and then 
right on the website it shows you their um, productions so Macbeth Muet live stream or Frequencies live stream um, those are the two that I talked about they have other ones coming up uh, one of but they're in like April or May so we'll talk about those when the time comes <laughs> and so let's say you want to buy it uh, buy one to um, Macbeth and then you just click on that and it takes you to where you can buy the tickets and more information. And so that's pietheater.com. Make sure you check it out. And with that, I am going to leave you again to Phoebe and then I will be back afterwards. Enjoy. Okay, so hi. This is Phoebe, um, and we're doing something a little different today, which is quite exciting for me. <laughs> I'm currently walking through a completely empty uh, campus at, at, down at UBC, um, and it's, it's almost midday, I'm walking very fast because I think I might be late, but I remember this time last year, thereabouts, this place was packed, and now there's no one, um, but that's why today's kind of exciting, because this is the first time I think I've had an in-person meeting for anything in, I guess, about 11 months now, and my, my destination is MOA, the Museum of Anthropology, right at the back of campus, um, where I will be taking you with me to see a little bit about the upcoming exhibition that's opening. Okay, I'm going to interrupt myself here for a minute just to give you guys some context. Um, this exhibition that I'm about to tell you about is called A Future for Memory, Art and Life After the Great East Japan Earthquake. Um, and it is already open, so you can go see it today if you want to. And it runs until September 5th. It is located in the Museum of Anthropology, or MOA, which is down at UBC. And the, the clips you're about to hear, I have to apologize in advance for the sound quality. I kind of like it. It feels sort of like ASMR walking through a museum, if you know what I mean. But um, yeah, you have to excuse. There's a lot of echo and background noise in my very interesting conversation that I had with the curator, Phoebe Nakamura. So yeah, I'm going to cut back to some more interesting clips. Um, of my conversation with her after seeing some of the exhibition. Yeah. Uh, thank you all so much for coming. Um, so the exhibition is just taking place in one of the galleries down the way here, so we'll just head over that way and then um, Fuyubi Nakamura, the curator, will be able to, to give you the tour. Uh, yeah, I'm Fuyubi Nakamura. I'm a social culture anthropologist and originally from Tokyo, Japan, and I work as a curator for Asia at the Museum of Anthropology at the UBC, and also a member of the Asian Studies and Anthropology Department. So Fuyubi has a long experience working with the area and the material that makes up this exhibition. So I wanted to ask her if there was anything throughout her her process of accumulating and presenting this exhibition, if she found anything that surprised her or found anything that she didn't expect at any point in time? Uh, I don't think there was anything particularly surprising because you know, shortly after the disaster, I spent you know, a few months in the disaster region. Before I even thought about exhibition or doing research, I was just there as a volunteer originally. So every time I went back, there was nothing you know, surprising, but at the same time, I, I think I was quite shocked to see how the landscape kept changing. Because the first year, in the first year when I was there, the town was full of what we call rubbles everywhere. And after you know, all those things are clean, suddenly town became completely empty. Nobody was there, no houses were there. And then after government decided to build a massive sea wall along the Sandwich coast, then landscape kept changing. You know, it's very, very massive artificial wall from the face. You cannot see the ocean. 
and then, then most of the community along the Sunday coast are fishing communities. So it has been very challenging, and some some towns actually did protest. Actually, I didn't know those regions prior to disaster, so for me it was quite difficult when I first went there. What was it like? I could only imagine what it was like, and that's why for me it was important to talk to the local residents to learn from them what was important to them prior to this particular disaster in 2011. Fuyubi talks to me about listening to the community, and in the exhibition, their voices really do come through strongly. And then the students take down, you know, their stories and memories around their town, and they paint the model together and attach those small you know, houses and objects and flags. So you see part of that here. It's not just a collection of an artist's response. It's a combination of art and history and information and community strength and community collaboration and there are different art pieces that showcase different strengths within this sort of like relationship between all of these different creators um and i think that was something that really struck me to be honest when i saw this exhibition was how present the community voice is within the works and i think for that reason alone honestly i would recommend going to see this in person because i don't think reading about the earthquake or looking at pictures can have nearly the same effect as seeing some of these works in person both because of just the emotional impact of of seeing the the actual product but also the scale like when you walk into this giant room it yeah i mean i don't want to spoil too much about it I asked Phoebe what her thoughts are on art's role in recovery after disaster. Yeah, so I think art does play a crucial role yeah. in revitalizing disaster-stricken communities because I think art provides a shared sense of hope and opportunity for reflection. Okay, there is no like a direct way that art can help, but at the same time, even now like we are going through a pandemic. When we go through a difficult time, I think we understand the importance of art and also culture. We need those, you know, those things as a human being. That's how I feel. And also like a museum, archive also play an important role in preserving memories and histories of yeah. these disaster regions. Yeah. Mm. So that's why I wanted to bring both elements, you know, artwork and then or archival nature. Mm. Yeah. What do you hope people leave this exhibition with? Yeah, so I kind of think it's not the easy exhibition to digest because there are so many different kind of works in this exhibition. But at the same time, as early I wanted to focus on the positive side of what came out of this disaster. So that's why I didn't want to focus on the kind of dramatic nature of the disaster itself. But I wanted to focus on the connections and relationship people created through this disaster. So even like in this project, Lost Home Project, it's all about connection too, right? Yeah. Students went to the region and then you know, work with the community members to learn about this particular town they didn't know before. And then as I said earlier, the connection section is really about that too. But even this one, you know, when you look at those heavily damaged photographs, you don't see clear images. But at the same time, we recognize they are photographs. So we kind of speculate what kind of lives those people might have had prior to disaster. Yeah. Mm. So that's why this exhibition requires a certain imagination, I think. Mm. As we talk more about disasters, Fuyubi brings up COVID. Mm. Yeah. I think, you know, since, you know, not just the 10th anniversary, as it happens, we are also going through this pandemic. Yeah. We, you know, completely different reasons. But, you know, we are kind of going through difficult times, right? And then I was thinking people probably can relate to this disaster in different way from maybe prior to pandemic. That's my feeling. But I don't know what they think. Yeah. You know, we are, you know, we never thought of it like we are in like masks like we are doing right now in Canada, right? Yeah. For example, it's a very different experience. And then I didn't want to focus on the nuclear disaster. It's part of it, of course, but 
Having said that, you know, nuclear leak radiation is invisible. That's why people are still suffering and then fighting in particular area in Fukushima. And like here now, because of COVID, we are also fighting something invisible. So I think that because of the time we live now, there are you know, interesting connections we can probably make. Yeah, and true. they may be long, but those people have actually done to continue living, continue having their life as it was before. It's different, but at the same time, clearly they have not given up hope. They try to find a way to deal with a difficult time. It's, this, it's 10 years, but recovery process continues. Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting parallel. Mm. I guess like it's mm. obviously completely different, but in both cases, it's an invisible mm. trauma that changed everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop this recording. Um, yeah, so I hope that little snippet of conversation uh, piqued your interest. And maybe you're going to go head down to Moa and check out the exhibition. I don't know. If you do, I think you'll probably learn something cool. If you don't, um, I hope you have a nice day anyway. Uh, yeah, that's all for me. Welcome back! How cool was that segment? Oh my god, Phoebe, thank you so much for that segment. That was really good. I loved it so much. If you are a student at UBC, you have free admission to Museum of Anthropology. So check it out. If you're not a student, still check it out. It sounds really good. Um, it sounds really interesting. And you have no reason not to unless you're not in Vancouver, of course, because then you have a very valid reason to not do that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, go go check out A Future for Memory at the MOA. Um, with that, folks, we are at the end of our show. We have a packed show next week. Like, next week is so full. I don't know how we're going to fit everything into that show, but we're going to do it somehow because we we always manage it, you know, and we're going to be back here and I hope you will be back here too. Also, I have to mention, as I was recording this, I am recording this to Tuesday morning, if you are wondering. Um, I was looking through our Twitter and, okay, so our Twitter is CITR underscore arts report. And I tweeted uh, the other day, and by the other day, I meant yesterday, so Monday. Um, I tweeted, uh, it's both funny and sad how Rio Theater said, if you can't beat them, join them, and started showing sports on the big screen. Can at Dr. Bonnie Henry please explain why bars and restaurants are open, but theaters are closed? Because we're genuinely curious. And, wow, it's getting so much, so much attention. It's our tweet with the most... Um, interaction and it's exciting so and there's some conversation happening around um this decision that dr bonnie henry made back um before i think this decision was made before the new year's so they closed up all of the theaters and arts and culture stuff but the restaurants and bars are still open and very busy and so if you want to join the conversation follow our twitter at citr underscore arts support we also have an instagram at arts support citr and you can check out our facebook at arts support at citr 101.9 fm and with that, I shall leave you to it. I hope you enjoyed this week's show. I know I did. I hope you're having a wonderful reading break if you're a student. And if you're not, I hope you're having a great Wednesday. I will see you here next week, the same time. Bye. Gee, your station has a lot of problems. Tell me about it. Just look at our morning guy. Hello, this is Mole Man in the morning. Good Mole Man to you. Today, part four of our series of the agonizing pain in which I live every day. You're listening to CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver, not the home of Mole Men in the Morning. <laughs>